Hello, and welcome to the One in One Podcast, where a below-average podcaster chats with an above-average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. Today's guest is probably the most famous guest I've had on the podcast, and I can proudly say I knew him before he was famous. Derek Grant, or Dizzy Grant, as some people may know him as, played basketball at the College of New Jersey from 2002 to 2005, then played eight years with the Harlem Globetrotters. Now he's a basketball trainer and coach. He's trained Sacramento Kings guard Kyle Guy, who won a championship with Virginia in 2019, and he even managed to find time to write a book called Results. We obviously have a lot to talk about. Derek, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And this is so funny. Uh, You know, I knew you when you played at the College of New Jersey because my brother Kyle played there at the same time. You guys were part of the same recruiting class. And me and my family would watch the games and refer to you as Little Derek because there was a guy a couple years older than you who played center. You were a guard. He was also named Derek and he was Big Derek. And when Big Derek graduated, we still called you Little Derek. That that haunted me for years. Like I remember when I got done playing, like I just it felt liberating that people were actually calling me Derek again. I was no longer little Derek. And it's funny, like when I talk to guys like old teammates like Leroy Peterson or some of the other guys, they'll be like, Little Derek. I'm like, you don't have to call me that anymore. We're not I don't have another guy named Derek around me anymore. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say I think Kyle still calls you little Derek when he tells me, Oh, little Derek's on the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, since you graduated uh, with my brother in 2005, it's been fun following your career, you know, talking about the Harlem Globetrotters. And Kyle last year told me that you trained Kyle Guy, and it was during the NCAA tournament. So after Villanova got knocked out, I rooted for UVA, and they won it all. You might remember my dad and Kyle being big Villanova guys. Yes, I do remember that. And I I remember, of course, you know, Kyle was... Kyle Guy is somebody who I was rooting for, and I I put them to win the whole thing in my bracket. And then when Villanova lost, I'm like, I might actually get this right one time. And <laughs> everybody knows their magical run and you know, shot against Purdue and you know the Final Four and everything shots that he made. But it was I mean it was a unbelievable tournament, unbelievable season for that program. Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely going to talk more about that. Um, and I just think it's so cool now to like have this platform to discuss your successful career. I'm so excited to get into it. Oh, thank you. I'm, I can't wait to dive into it, too. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. You grew up in Belmed, New Jersey, which is uh, very close to Princeton. You have great parents. I remember them from the TCNJ games being so nice, always cheering for everyone. And I don't remember. Do you have any siblings? I have an older brother. He's uh, three years older than me. Um, he's like, like I got the athleticism. He got the brains. Uh, <laughs> but like he's crazy smart. Uh, he's an electrical engineer. So um, he would come to games here and there, but he was usually too busy. So uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Hey, give yourself credit. You're pretty smart. You wrote a book. Well, that's not hard. I just put my thoughts down on a piece of paper. That's all I did there. That was. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you originally get into basketball? Ironically enough, uh, we were living in Rochester, New York, and my parents took me and my brother to go see the Harlem Globetrotters when I was seven years old. And I had never played basketball. I was just strictly a soccer player. And they bought me like a mini basketball at the game. And I remember, I can still see it, dribbling down the, we were, we were going back to our car in the parking lot, and I was dribbling down the sidewalk in Rochester, New York. And that was 
Like that was literally my first time ever having a basketball, playing a basketball. I didn't, we didn't have a basketball hoop at home. I had a basketball before I had a basketball hoop. So that was, that was my introduction to basketball. And I just, I fell in love with it. I mean, we used to go to Blockbuster Video, me and my dad, and I'd get these highlight tapes of Michael Jordan and you know, Dominique Wilkins and all these guys in the 80s and early 90s. And soccer was fun for me, but, like, basketball did something different to me. And um, I still have that love now. I mean, it's just like like that seven-year-old dribbling down the street. <laughs> And it comes full circle, obviously. You uh, got into basketball because of the Harlem Globetrotters, and then you became one. And that's that's the crazy part. My last year, my eighth year on the team, uh, we played in that War Memorial Coliseum in Rochester, New York, and we got done with practice. And I was like, I, I kind of had an idea. It was kind of my last year or get towards the end. And I wasn't sure I was going to be on that East Coast team that would play in Rochester again. So I went up to the, to the, the general area where – um, we sat when I was seven years old because I remember looking down and seeing the benches. So I went up there and sat, and I just kind of took like two or three minutes to myself and just sat there. And I was like, this is crazy how this has gone full circle. I remember 25 years ago I was sitting in this area watching these guys play, and now, now here I am. That's awesome. At what point did you stop playing soccer? Did you play through high school with that? I played all the way up until seventh grade, and okay. I'm thankful I did because, I mean, soccer obviously is play with your feet, so and what people don't realize is basketball is play with your feet, and it helped, my, it helped with my footwork, and um, that was probably one of my strongest attributes is was my footwork, and it was from soccer. Like, my son, he's seven years old now, he's getting into basketball, but I had him play soccer first so he could figure out how those feet work because that's really how the game is played. Yeah, definitely. You have a great high school career at Montgomery High School where you averaged 21 points and you were selected to the North-South All-Star Game where you won the three-point contest. And I have to ask, you're near Princeton, which is central New Jersey, so did you play on the North team or the South team? I was considered for, like, I was South. So I was on the South team um, because I remember the North, ironically, the the championship was uh, me versus Mike Snyder. Who oh, played I remember at, him. He was on the North team. He went to Cranford. But, yeah, I was like, I thought that was interesting that me and, um, I think his name was Adam Gibbons, who played at Bridgewater, we were considered South. But I'm like, we could go either way. We're Central. <laughs> like, we could, like, for you guys to sit here and say we're South, we could easily say we're North. But yeah. it, it, it worked itself out. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty nice that you won the three-point contest. It was. You know, it was, I don't know what it was. I, I practiced all week, but. That was that was actually the first time I was ever in like a three point competition, and as you know, your brother can attest to it. When you get get in a rhythm, it's and you shoot, it's hard to get out of it. And thankfully, I got hot at the right time. And the way they did it, the format, I was at one end, and Mike Snyder was down at the other end, and I could hear the crowd going crazy. So that that puts a little more pressure on it when you can't <laughs> see what's going on, but you hear the reaction of the crowd and yeah, lock in and focus on making shots. And I was thankful I won though. Nice. And did you play AAU basketball as well? I didn't. We, that's why I tell kids now that I work with, I train. I'm like, man, you guys have unbelievable resources of just getting exposure. We didn't, I didn't play AAU. We, my high school team entered into an AAU tournament. It was one tournament. We were a high school team. Like It wasn't like guys from all over. Mm-hmm. And we were playing against AAU teams. And I forgot the name of the team, but they had Randy Foy on it from Newark Eastside. who went to playing for Villanova and playing yeah. the NBA and he was unbelievable. <laughs> he was a junior. And I was like, who is this kid? 
But that really like opened my eyes. Like Yo, this AAU circuit is like the real deal. But yeah, yeah I, I didn't have a chance to play AAU. Okay, and that's pretty funny. I feel like Kyle, my brother Kyle, has told stories about playing against Randy Foy. Yeah, he was he was good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure he was. <laughs> And can you talk about your college recruiting process? Like what schools you're looking at and why you ultimately chose the the College of New Jersey? Yeah, so like times now, because I deal with kids all the time. Everybody, I want to go D1. I want to go D1. I want to go D1. But times were different back then. I was maybe a little naive. I remember being a sophomore in high school. I was at the time that I was living in Louisiana thinking like, I'm going to play at University of North Carolina. Like that's where I'm going to play. Not having any idea how that process unfolds or what do you have to do? Cause my parents, they didn't play college sports they didn't, and they didn't, they were in the basketball world. So they couldn't kind of give me that guidance, but that, I guess you can say I was being naive, but that was the belief that I had. Like no one was ever saying like, no, you can't do it. So I really believed I could. So I would just work and work and work. And then uh, we moved to New Jersey going into my junior year and probably my senior year, actually going into my junior, I got a little, um, attention from small colleges. Um, there's a D2 school up there in New Jersey. Um, Caldwell, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, that's yep. by me, kind of. Yep. Caldwell is recruiting me. Um, FDU Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, Kane University. It was in our conference. Yeah. Those were the ones who were giving me the most attention. And then when my senior season came about, I was just focused on on the season. And I didn't hear much. And then here comes April, spring break, and I had that North-South game. And I'm like, okay, hopefully I'll get something. And I ended up winning that three-point shootout. And that's when John Castaldo and Chris Ballant came up to me and asked if I'd be interested in taking a visit at the uh, the College of New Jersey. But people ask me, like, I play all the time. They're like, man, where'd you play? And I'm like, oh, I play – I make sure I tell them I played at a small little Division three school because there's this stigmatism like, oh, you can't play at – you can't be this good if you play Division three. And I – like – I always tell kids that I work with, like, just focus on getting better every year. And that was, that's the way I live life. That's the way I was when I was in college. That's like, to this day, that's where I just try to be better than I was 365 days ago. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, as someone who has been to many division three basketball games in their life, I can tell you the players are just as good. And, you know, some circumstances happen where they go D3. Um, Kyle was actually on the podcast. He talked about how he, he got hurt. He ended up playing D3. But there's still a lot of good players there. And obviously, you're able to become a professional basketball player. Um, I know my brother had some opportunities to play overseas, which he ultimately didn't take. But, uh, but yeah, you can yeah. become a professional basketball player any division you play. Oh, absolutely. Times are different now. I mean, like when we were coming up, they didn't even have YouTube. Like, like you can be seen now. That was the whole thing with being Division Three. It wasn't that maybe you weren't good enough. It's just like, nobody's going to no scouts are going to go to a division three game. Like you're not on TV in March madness. So now that's, that's changed a little bit, but I remember the year before me and Kyle got to college of New Jersey, that the, the uh, New Jersey athletic conference player of the year was Horace Jenkins. And the next year he goes on to win a national champion, a, a NBA championship with the Detroit Pistons in 2004. So it's like people say all oh, division three, division three, but that conference we played in me and Kyle played in, there were a lot of Division One guys who came down because they wanted to play right away because they knew that that conference was as good as a low major Division One conference. And Absolutely. I, I also, I mean, because I got, I applied to Monmouth University, I applied to Ryder University, I got accepted, 
But I went and talked to their coaches, and they were like, you know, we got our class already coming in of that position, so you can try and walk on. There's no guarantee. I, I'm always the type, go where you're wanted. Mm-hmm. Go where you're wanted and just work on getting better and improving and don't put, like, yourself in a box. So that, that, was, that was kind of my thought process. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started. That's where that, that whole thought process of, like, not just, just because I'm Division three doesn't mean I can't be better or as good as someone who's Division one. Absolutely. So you get to TCNJ in the fall of 2001. What was the adjustment like going from high school basketball to college basketball? It was, I was six foot, I was about six foot, six one, 165 pounds when I got to the college in New Jersey. And I, I remember seeing your brother. <laughs> this guy's like a man, like, like this dude's the same age, same grade. His biceps are like, like, this guy, like, I need to get in the weight room. I thought I was in the weight room, but I'm like, so Kyle was always my measuring stick, always. We played <laughs> the same position for the longest, and I saw how hard he worked off the court, especially in the weight room. I'm like, I have to catch up to him. Like, to this day, I mean, I've seen and worked with a lot of players. To this day, your brother is the best shooter, period. Oh, wow. Ever. Like, yeah, Kyle Guy may not want to hear that, but I would love to see him <laughs> go go head to head, but he's, he was kind of like my measuring stick. And when I got to the college of New Jersey, that the biggest adjustment was physicality, you know, having guards that were like big, strong guards that I had to, I had to figure they were just as quick as me, but they were stronger. And I was only 165 pounds. So that summer going into my sophomore year, I got a job at the uh, weight room on campus and I made it my goal. Like I got to try and put on 15 to 20 pounds of just muscle. And I came back, Going into my sophomore year, I was 185, and I, I think I grew like an inch and a half, so that helped too. Wow, late! Uh, that's pretty late to grow. Nice. Yeah, yeah I, I was six. I'm six two now. I might have shrunk a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and Kyle's gonna love to hear that. You're really feeding into his ego. <laughs> I, I tell him every time I talk to him, I'm like, I, I always give him a progress report. Like, hey, I know it's been a while, but you're still the best shooter I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You end up having a great career at TCNJ. You score over 1,000 points by your junior year. You end up third all-time in scoring with 1,543 points. You probably would have had more if my brother passed you the ball a little bit more. <laughs> you know what? My job was to get him the ball. The way he shot the ball, <laughs> I wish I had more assists, actually. I should have passed him the ball more. <laughs> <laughs> Any funny Kyle Burke stories you want to share? Oh, let me say, I, I, I talked to him last week and I told him I was going to think of some stories. <laughs> Probably, Kyle was always like, like he was always so sweaty, <laughs> crazy sweaty. Like, like, dude, like, stay away from me. Like, I don't even want to guard you. I remember one time in practice, like, I, I don't know, I must have been just one of those days I didn't really feel like guarding him. And I'm like, yo, switch. And then after I ended up telling the person I switched, like, I just wasn't in the mood to have his sweat all over me today. I just wasn't <laughs> in the mood for it. But he would literally, like, he'd take off his shirt, he could wring it, it'd be so much sweat. Oh but, yeah, he was, he was always the sweaty one on the team. Hey, I got to defend my brother. He's working hard out there. Maybe you guys <laughs> should uh, work hard, work just as hard as he is. <laughs> he was definitely doing that. He was, he was, never had to say he wasn't working hard, so, yeah. Oh, that's funny, though. I was down at his house this weekend, uh, as I told you off air. And yeah, it's wintertime. Uh, we're in Jersey and he's in shorts and a T-shirt. That's that's Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that's Kyle. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
So you end your career at TCNJ as uh, the NJAC or the New Jersey Athletic Conference Player of the Year. You led the league in scoring your senior year, and you, as well as racking up other awards and honors. So you've done so much with basketball since then, but do you still look back fondly on your time as a TCNJ Lion? I do. Um, I enjoyed that time there. You know, it was the, the maturation process basketball-wise for me was – I was able to take my time. I came in with, I think, five other freshmen, maybe six. And, like, I wasn't in a, like, I didn't have the mindset, like, I got to start. I got to start as a freshman. I got, I think I played 17 minutes a game as a freshman. But, like, I was, I was okay with that. I wasn't, because I knew it was going to take time. I'd rather, I'd rather get thrown into a position and I'm prepared for it as opposed to getting thrown into it. I'm not really ready. And then before you know it, now I'm buried at the end of the bench. So I was able to take my time with like developing and every season, every off season, I would have like five or six things. Like I got to get better at this, this, and this. And I just focused in on it. And then as the season went on, I always tried to break practice down into like, okay, what am I working on this in this practice? Like, what do I want to like, maybe it's, I want to figure out how to post up Kyle, or maybe it's like, I want to come off with pick and roll and make sure I make the right read. But I always tried to focus on something to get better. So I never dreaded practice. I work with players all the time now and they like, they dread practice. And I'm like, well, how are you ever going to get better when practice is actually what you do? Most of the time, you only play a game maybe twice a week if you're lucky, but you're practicing like five days a week. Focus on that thing that you're doing the most. And if you do that, it'll take care of everything. So I always had that mindset uh, even back then. But probably some of my most fondest memories were like, like having goals each season, whether it's individual or team, and then breaking it down and figuring out a way to knock off those goals. Like winning NJAC player of the year was one of my goals. And mm-hmm. that started going into my junior year. I knew I had to average within the top three, my junior year. I think I ended up second behind smart battle who won player of the year, but I knew I had to be in the talks for it. My junior year, if I was going to achieve it, my senior year. And one of my other goals was to become, was to be an all American. I think I ended up being like 13, um, all American after my senior year, but that was like a goal I had my sophomore year because I realized it was going to take time and there were some more things I had to work on. So when I look back on everything, I loved it. I mean, I still, I look on Instagram, look at the college of New Jersey's basketball page and, you know, still look at Packer hall and all that stuff. And <laughs> you know, hopefully one of these days I'll be able to make it back to, to catch a game. Yeah, you should. Yeah. We, I've been to, I went to Princeton about a year and a half ago, and but I went in October before the season started. I told my wife I would need to, we would take a family trip out there one day and, and catch a game one weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and as someone who spent four years watching you as a awkward eleven to fourteen year old girl, I can attest you got better every year from freshman to senior year. Yeah, that's like I said. That was all. It's always been my mindset. I've never. I, like I said, I see it all the time with players I work with. They they have like this this um belief like I got to be good right now. But anything that's like it takes time. Everything takes time, especially if it's going to be great mm-hmm. or it's going to be top tier. It's going to take time. And I always my parents they drill that into me. Like if you want something, you have to be willing to work at it through the ups and the downs. Let time work its course. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to achieve it. And, you know, now we live in a society where everything's like microwave success. Like we, <laughs> we think we're supposed to have everything right right now. And that served me well in college. And, I mean, now I'm, I'm still patient. I try to be patient and say it takes time. 
Absolutely. And that's not just sports. It takes time to do well in anything, whether it be an office job or really anything. Yeah, that's life. That's life. It takes time. Rome wasn't built in a day. (laughs) Absolutely. So you graduate college. Did you have any opportunities to play overseas at that point? I did. So I went to, I think I went to six camps um, coming out of college. And by my fourth camp, it was in Georgia. I had a, a, a contract offer in Argentina to go play. And the last minute, it fell through, and they ended up giving it to – I found out I gave it to a kid who played Division One. He went Division One, but he didn't play much. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was the GM of the team said, I'll sell more tickets with the guy who played Division One than I will with the guy who played Division Three. So I, I lost out on that, but, you know, it worked out because um, – when I got done, it was around September. I had nothing. Like, I didn't. I had nothing on the table. Uh, Big Derek, Derek Brown said, "Let's go up to uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania for this ABA tryout." So I went and played really well. Mm-hmm. Head coach at the time came up to me and was like, "Hey, you're a really good player. We like you a lot, but we already have our team picked from another league we're bringing over. So my loyalty is to those guys. So I don't know if you play much." I was just like, oh my gosh, not again. Yeah, some and bad had, luck. Yeah. So, but he and he tells me, he goes, I have an idea. How about this? I, I'm good friends with the general manager of a team called the New York Nationals. How would you like to play for them? And I'm like, I, I didn't know who they were. So I go home and Google it. And New York Nationals, now they're known as the Washington Generals, the team that plays against the Harlem Globetrotters every night is the most losingest team in the history of all sports. <laughs> I'm like, you want me to play for this? I'm like, there's no. I'm an All-American. I just want conference player. There's no way I'm playing for these guys. And I remember telling my dad, and he looked at me. He was like, well, where are you playing at right now? <laughs> point well taken. Yeah, good point, Mr. Grant. Yeah, you are you got it. He's like, beggars can't be choosers. You know, do it for a year, see what happens. So I ended up doing that for a year. And because of that, I'm playing against the glow charters every night, and they're seeing me, management seeing me, and I'm getting to like, know the – the actual Globetrotters, and we're becoming friends. And then I said I was going to do it one more year. I did it for a year, and I was about to do one more year of it, and I'll go get an office job or whatever. And the owner of the Harlem Globetrotters asked me if I wanted to try out for the team. I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And ironically enough, before I ever moved to Indiana or lived in, I had never even been to Indiana. The tryout was here in Indianapolis. And it's crazy because I was one of, I think, eight guys came eight rookies, six actually made the team. All these guys were at like Oklahoma State, Tennessee, University of Memphis. These are guys who I watched on the final, in, in March Madness. Like, yeah. And here I am, this tiny little Division Three guy, and I gave them fits. They just, <laughs> like, <laughs> I gave them problems. Just put it like that. And it showed me, like, what I already believed, like, oh, it doesn't matter what level you play, as long as you like work and you're willing to put the time in, I can be better than, I mean, all these guys who played major division one. So that was kind of how my journey got started. I tell that, I make sure I always tell that because kids nowadays think like, like I started the ground level and I get to the top. Like, no, like sometimes you may have to do a year of something that you really don't want to. I just, Mm -hmm. me and Kyle guy just had this conversation the other day. Like Kyle should be a senior at university of Virginia right now. And Virginia probably needs him. And you know, he's at the, uh, he, he told me, we talked yesterday, he said, I played one game in the last two weeks. 
because he's going back and forth from the NBA where he doesn't play, but then he goes down to G League, and then it's like, I told him, I said, just this will be part of your story. You'll look back on this here in four or five years and be thankful that it's worked out the way it has, just like yeah, me. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's still a rookie. He's got a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's got time. He's got he's got to learn the ropes here. And for anyone who may not know uh, who the Harlem Globetrotters are, I guess the best way to put it is they're an American basketball team that plays sort of like exposition-style games all over the world where they incorporate comedy and athleticism into the games, whether that be doing trick shots or outrageous ball handling. Derek, am I missing anything in my description? No, that's, that's, that's them. Nice, nice. <laughs> that's them. <laughs> And your name is, your name for the Harlem Globetrotters, everyone has a nickname, you are Dizzy Grant. Yes. Can you explain how you got that name? So I used to, for the older generation that knows who Curly Neal is, I was like the Curly Neal. I'd dribble around, slide around, and do all the tricks and everything on the ground. Well, they presented a bunch of nicknames of like what they thought I would like and Dizzy was on there, and they were like, well, Dizzy's perfect because you make your your defenders dizzy when you dribble around. So I was like, okay, well, Dizzy it is, then, and that's, 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 that's how I got the nickname. Yeah, that suits you. <laughs> yeah, although in college, I didn't really, I didn't dribble that much. So I had, that was something I had to work on. Like, my ball handling wasn't terrible in college, but it wasn't great. Like, that was something that, my ball, ball handling now is way better now than it was in college. And it was well, you were mostly a two guard, right? At TCJ? Yeah, so I didn't, I figured out ways to score without pounding the ball and putting the ball on the floor a lot. So, like now, like after doing eight years of the Globe Charge, like, I mean, the ball, I, like I said, I'm way better ball handler now than I ever was in college. Nice. And you only play the Nationals or the Generals? Wait, did I have that right? Yeah. So it was, it was the Nationals, my, the year I played for them. And then they switched to the generals, and then um, management changed. A new company bought the Globe Charge, and then they switched it to, I think they called them like the International Elite or something like that. I don't know. Something, I think it was International Elite. And then I think now it's maybe back to the Washington Generals, I think. So, and that's same, the only opponent you guys ever played? Same, yeah, same guys. <laughs> um, that was what well, people don't read because people, someone just asked me the other day, like, is it real? Is it, is it like, what is it? I'm like, well, imagine this. It's 50% scripted, 50% um, real basketball. So the scripted entertainment side, they're acting like they're playing defense, but they're not really like trying to steal the ball maybe. Mm -hmm. And the actual, the other 50 is real basketball. So you got to be able to play basketball. You can't just come in there and do a bunch of tricks and that's it. So that was, and it's, it's shifted. It, it used to be more competitive. And then as management changed and, they realized, like, okay, we're going to really focus on entertainment, kind of like a WWE type uh, format, and uh, yeah, so that's 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 kind of what it is now. What was your favorite entertainment move when you were playing? Uh, I always got. You might be able to find a picture of it or a video of it on YouTube. I always, I would do my routine, and then I get down on the ground, and I'd almost like be laying down, and I'd be dribbling around in a circle while I was like. <laughs> like a swimsuit model posing on the beach. And that always got oohs and ahs in the crowd. So that was, that, that oh, became my awesome. favorite. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> and now could the opposing team ever win? Is it kind of a known thing? Like, okay, we're not supposed to win or could they actually come out, shoot well one game and, and get a W? They could. I mean, if they, 
if they've made literally every shot, they they could. I mean, which isn't. I mean, highly it's highly unlikely, but it's not impossible. They could they could beat the Globetrotters. We always said we always had a joke if if we ever lost, we'd all be fired. So like that was like. <laughs> Our motivation was like, don't be the team that lost to the Generals. Yeah, that's actually good motivation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is playing for the Globetrotters a year-round thing, like 12 months you're on the Globetrotters, or do you guys have some time off during the year? No, it was – so, like, on average, I was gone nine months out of the year away okay. from home. So, like, the season always started Christmas morning. That's when we also, like – I just tell people, like, when you were coming downstairs to see Christmas presents, I was coming down and dragging a suitcase head to the airport. And I would leave Christmas morning. Our first game would be December 26th. And that tour, the U.S. US and Canada tour, would span all the way till May. I'd go home for about three weeks and then go over to Europe for two months, come home for about a month, then go to China for three and a half weeks, come home for, like, two weeks, head off to training camp for three weeks, and then go straight into – a three-week tour in Australia. So it was nine months where I was, five of those nine, I was going straight. Wow, that's uh, that's a pretty demanding schedule. It's a lot. It's a lot. My eight years, I went to 70 different countries, and at, I kept track of it. One year, I flew 25,000 miles. Oh, my God. Time around Earth, yeah. Wow. And that had to be harder as you got older because you have a wife now and you have some kids. So that had to be hard leaving them. Yeah. So I've always said it's a young man's uh, occupation. It's not when you have a wife and kids, it's just you think when you have a, if my son was born in August and I left in December, when I came back in May, it was like a totally different kid. Like he's walking and like, like I walked in the front door and he's looking at me like, like, who's this guy? Like he didn't know who I was. I've been gone so long. So it definitely got tougher. Um, and it's tougher for older guys who have families, and that's why I said I had my fun. It was, it was great. After like my seventh year, you know, I was starting to like, okay, it's time to start figuring out what to do next. Mm-hmm. And now, before you guys would go on these tours, would you guys practice together? And if so, where would those practices be held? So wherever we, so we would always have tra- we would always have a training camp in Long Island. Uh, okay. Two and a half week uh, training camp and. Uh, whenever we practice, it would be before the game of wherever we were playing at. So if we were playing at American Airlines Arena in Miami, we practice. We'd get to the gym at three thirty, practice from three thirty five thirty. The game would be at seven. Okay. So that's usually how. And we practiced a lot. I mean, it was we played like three hundred fifty games between. Well, there's, there was two teams, but on average, I was playing between December and May. I'd play one hundred seventy games. Wow, that's a lot of basketball. Yeah, yeah. Some weekends we play two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. So a lot of practice, a lot of wear and tear on the knees. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> and did you ever actually, bringing that up, did you ever get any injuries as a Globetrotter? I had, a lot of my injuries were like uh, wear and tear. Like nothing, mm-hmm. no acute injuries, no like torn ACL. I had, my knee was bothering me one year. Um, I think it was about probably about six year. And I went and got an MRI, and they found that I had a torn meniscus. But the doctor was like, your meniscus has been torn. Like, it tore. And I thought back, I'm like, I know when it tore. It was when I was my senior year of college, we were playing Amherst, and I took a charge. And I went to get up, and my knee, like, gave out. And oh, wow. I, so it was, I mean, it was a minor tear, but that was in 2005. And it wasn't until 2012 when I got an MRI. 
and saw that that was there. He's like, it had already kind of started to heal itself and had scar tissue over itself, but nothing, knock on wood, no, no, no big injuries. <laughs> That's good. What was the coolest place that you traveled to? At the time, probably, I think in 2008, I went to Dubai. That was crazy. I mean, it was, they were building the, um, the island in the shape of palm trees. They were, so we got to go like to this high rise and see the barges bringing in sand and making like literally making islands. So that was cool. Um, I enjoyed Singapore, Australia, probably my favorite of all the places, but, um, a lot of countries, it's not, not a lot, but some country we went to, I had no desire ever going back to, we went to <laughs> Libya one year and that was, that was, uh, that was an interesting one. I would definitely want to go back to Libya anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, don't blame you. But that's cool. I've heard great things about Singapore, Australia. And uh, one of my friends goes to uh, Dubai a lot for work. Mm, yeah, Dubai's. I haven't been there in a while, but I'd imagine it's probably even more extravagant. It's just, it's like you're just driving, and then like all of a sudden it's like Vegas on steroids. <laughs> Vegas meets Beverly Hills, and it has a child, and there you are in Dubai. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know? And you're in the history books for the Globetrotters. In 2010, the Harlem Globetrotters incorporated a four-point shot, and you hit the first ever four-point shot, and it was on ESPN2. And correct me if I'm wrong, the ball that you shot with is in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in Massachusetts. Yeah, so that season we ended up going to um, Springfield, and we went to the Hall of Fame, and we had like a little ceremony, and... I got to speak and everything. It was really, really cool. It's kind of surreal, like, because when I made it that day we were filming for the ESPN special, I had no idea. And that's really, honestly, when my career kind of took off in, you know, Good Morning America and Today's Show and uh, You're Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. And all these shows came really after that, that, that moment. Wow, that's awesome. And are you still in it today? They didn't take that exhibit down? You're still there? I haven't there? been there in a while. I haven't been there. I don't know if it's still... I know they, the Globetrotters always had their own little section, so I don't know if it's in that. Um, I've, I've been telling my wife, like, I want to take our kids there and see if it's still there. I would like to think it is, I, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, it better yeah. be. I know, right? And you see <laughs> the big three now, they have a four-point shot on, on their um, floor. So maybe, maybe it is still there. I hope it is. And you just mentioned being on TV shows. Can you talk about some of those experiences? Really, really cool. I mean, it's that's kind of out of my wheelhouse. I mean, when you're a basketball player, you're a basketball. You don't think you don't think about like going on TV and doing stuff. And um, really cool, like going on the Today Show. Like when I go speak places, I tell people like, "Oh yeah, I was on the Today Show. I got my makeup done." And Kim Kardashian was sitting right next to me, and Hoda <laughs> and Kathy Lee were there, and um, it was really, really cool. Um, just life experiences to pass down to my kids and, and tell them about. But, you know, at the end of the day, I love basketball. So that was like, I was just happy I got to play basketball and got paid for it. Yeah, nice. And actually, um, I remember I'm, I'm a big women's basketball fan, and uh, you were uncredited in uh, a UConn or women's UConn Huskies uh, video. Caroline Doty did a trick shot, and uh, you hit a trick shot on there, but you didn't make the uh... – the role <laughs> yeah that was caroline was i mean she was a great sport um that was maya moore was there i got to meet her when i was there and but it was like it was me and scooter christensen my teammate with the globe charge and it, like, we were so shocked at like how talented caroline was like she was like 
we were like, you could come play for the Globetrotters. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> you're really talented. But it was that was a fun experience. That was a really cool experience. She had a couple knee injuries, so she kind of had a rough yeah. career there. But yeah, it's unfortunate. But I mean, she was a great teammate. I mean, bubbly personality. The crazy thing is, is I train her. Uh, a player now I've been training her for the last three years and she she was at UConn then her name is uh Kelly Ferris played oh at you train her train Kelly Kelly's actually me and Kelly are really close um I she's she's actually one of my clients who like she's like Kyle or Caitlin Gilbert who's like like she came down to Florida I live in Florida and stayed with us for a week and visited so she me and her are really close and uh I think she was on that team when I went there, I had no idea. It's just crazy how life works. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I like the way she plays basketball, Ferris. She was a great basketball player. Yeah. Or still is. Is she still playing? She still plays. She, she, um, she's had some injuries. She, she's actually working her way back, which, I mean, she plays hard, plays the right way. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she's on a roster this year in WNBA again. Oh, nice. I hope so. Yeah. WNBA is so tough. It's like the hardest sport to make a roster spot because there's so few teams, and I think there's only like 10 spots per team. It's it's hard. It's really tough. And it's like if you're once you get out, it's hard to get back in. I mean, it's already hard just getting in there coming out of college, but if you were like mm-hmm. in it and then you're out, it's it's like a new wave of girls just coming through, and they just it's, – it's, 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 it's tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, Derek, going back to uh, your career, being on the Harlem Globetrotters, you had an opportunity to have an impact on young kids, whether that be kids just going to the game and watching you, or I know you've done some public speaking. Can you uh, can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I didn't realize that the Globetrotters kind of like prepared me for the next thing in life, and it was like just being around kids and like pouring into kids and putting smiles on their faces and helping them. Glowcharts helped with that because I used to go off and do PR with them sometimes and go to, you know, radio stations, TV stations or um, schools or hospitals and kind of spread the good, the, the, the joy of the Glowcharts. But when I got done and started my training business of training kids, all of the NBA players, it was like I enjoy just helping these kids, obviously with basketball, but also like giving them little tidbits and pouring into them about life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get parents text me all the time or kids and they'll be like, hey, like I need help with this or what do you think I should do here? Or, you know, little Billy's struggling with this. So that's to me, the most fulfilling part of it. And that basketball has kind of created this Avenue for me to do that. That's so great. Thank you. And you know, you played eight seasons with them. How did it end? Was it, you retired? Did you not make a roster spot? How did it end for you? So new management had bought, the team, um, Hershen Family Entertainment, they bought the Globetrotters. It was my, going into my eighth year. And I was kind of at a point where I was like, you know what? I just, it's just hard. It's just hard being gone this long. Me and my wife always said, we don't want to have our second child while I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of started to figure out like, and think about what do I want to do next? Um, and then my last year, I kind of started to see the writing on the wall. I was kind of up there in terms of age and there were, had a new group of guys coming in and, I went home and I got home in May and I got a call from my coach and he was like, Hey, I just want to let you know that Globetrotters no longer need your services. And while I was shocked, there was like a relief, like, okay, I can be home now. Like I can be with my family and I raise my kids. And like, um, but then it was the reality of like, okay, like our income is gone now. What <laughs> do we do? Like, yeah, that's... The time was a stay at home mom and we had just bought a brand new house. And, um, 
it, I, I'm thankful for it the way it happened because it forced me to go into something that I probably wouldn't have. And it, I had never thought I'd be an entrepreneur, but it forced me to like, okay, you got to figure out something now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful the way it all played out. Yeah. And I know you're a man of great faith and you probably looked at that as uh, that setback as an opportunity for a comeback. And as you said, you're doing something different. I, I, absolutely. And that was like at that point in life, like that was like what I held on to was my faith. Like that was the only way I was going to be able to get to it, get through it. Imagine like I got let go on Thursday on Friday, my wife takes a pregnancy test and she tells me that she's pregnant. So now we're oh my our second child. We just bought a brand new house. We have uh, no income. We have no benefits. And it's like, like we're looking at each other, like, what are we going to do? And the summer before that, I had started working with some kids at a park training them. And I called up the dad and was like, hey, actually, one of the dads had come by the house like an hour after I got let go. He had no idea. And he's like, hey, I was in the neighborhood. I just wanted to drop off this book. And the book was written by, um, I forgot what his name is, but he used to be Carmelo Anthony's uh, skills trainer. And he wrote okay. a book and it was like, it was almost like the blueprint. Like I felt like God gave me the blueprint for what's next. And this guy came and dropped it off. And that was like, that provided a lot of like instruction and questions that I had. It answered mm-hmm. them like, okay, I can do this. I can, I can figure this out. And talk about that next stage that you're now in. You're a basketball coach. You do public speaking. You do a lot of training. Yeah, so it's funny. Somebody I was in Barnes and Nobles today, and some guy walked up to me and was like, "Hey, what do you what do you do?" And I'm like, "I don't I don't know what I do." That's a good a little question. bit of everything. A little bit of everything. I've always I've always tried to have like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. Um, so it started off with training kids, and then that grew from like two kids at a park to 350 kids in like a year. And then it was like I enjoy the basketball side, but I enjoy like helping. And then I was like, how about this? I'll have like a Bible study at my house. So kids just come over for a Bible study. And then it was like, you know what? I love going to like schools and talking to schools. So then I started going to schools and now it's kind of like transformed. I still train maybe five months out of the year. A majority of my time now is taken up, like going to speaking at churches or going to speak at conferences or going, like I just went to a company last Friday and talked to their company about like building a positive corporate culture. And I also coach uh, high school basketball. I'm an assistant varsity coach and girls at that, which I never oh, thought nice. I would, but I enjoy it. And it's become like basketball is great, but I just love helping. That's it. At the end of the day, I just want to help. Like so many people have helped me along my journey. Mm-hmm. I just want to pay it forward and help kids coming up and teach them things that I learned. Hopefully they'll learn at an earlier age. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you like uh, getting to know those kids. I mean, I know you and Kyle Guy are friends to this day. I know you went to his wedding and everything. Yeah, and that's with Kyle, it started off with basketball, but then it, like with most players I have, it slowly transitions into life. Like I tell kids all the time, like, I don't want to be just your, I want to get to a point with basketball that you don't need me anymore because I've gotten you better and shown you how to fish instead of just giving you a fish. And then with life, it's like, I'll always be here to help you always. So with Kyle, we started off with basketball. He was going into it. He was a junior year when we met and then going into senior year, we worked all summer. And then once, the, once school started, I mean, he was over at my house every day. We'd meet at four 30 in the morning to go work out. He'd come over to my house, even watch film. Like we became so close so fast because 
it really was bigger than basketball. We were talking about our faith and life and, you know, just, and here I am, you know, 15 years older than him, but I was still young enough where I could kind of talk to him like that cool uncle. And, mm-hmm. and he respected me because I was old enough. And now our relationship now, like we worked out in August before he left to go to Sacramento. Like we just talked on the phone yesterday for like 20 minutes and it really wasn't much about basketball. It's just, it's life. So yeah. Yeah. More about life. Yeah. And I got to ask you, was the man bun your idea? Funny you asked that, okay? It wasn't (laughs) my idea, but I will take responsibility for it. So, Oh, no. (laughs) Here's what happened. He was, um, was it? Oh, it was summer. Yeah, it was summer after his senior year. Um, He had about a month, about a month and a half. And I said, listen, your season's over with. We're going to get ready for this McDonald's All-American game. We're going to grind like we've never grind before. We're going to, I mean... We're going to be in the trenches. It's going to be tough. So to represent the struggle, I said, I won't shave. I will not shave. And if you if you look back at that time, I ended up having like a big beard. I'm like, I won't shave. And he couldn't grow. And he still can't grow any facial hair. But he was, <laughs> all right, I won't cut my hair. I'm like, okay, cool. I said, once you leave for school, though, we'll be done. We will have finished our work. And now we'll, and I'll shave. Well, I think he left to go to school like June 2nd that year. June 2nd, I'm shaving everything off. <laughs> And then I go to see him. He comes back home in August. I'm like, you didn't cut your hair. That was like, I thought you were going to cut your hair. And then October comes around. I go out there to visit. I'm like, you still haven't cut your hair. And then the season starts. He has a man. It's but I'm that fun. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like this. I never would have guessed it would have had the fanfare that it did. Like, it even had its own <laughs> it Twitter a big page. Deal. Like, but, yeah, so that's how the man bug came about. Hey, and I got to give him credit. Every away game that Virginia went to, he just got heckled with man bun chance, and he didn't he didn't shave or he didn't uh, chop it off. So good for him. It, it, it put a target on his back and probably gave him some unneeded attention. But that's Kyle, man. Kyle just Kyle thrives off adversity. So yeah, he 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 enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Kyle, we, we talked about he's in the NBA now and the, the G League, won a title at Virginia. He was named the most outstanding basketball player, most outstanding player at the Final Four. Uh, we also touched on how you're, ta- you're uh, training Kelly Ferris. Some of the other kids you've trained are, have remarkable careers. Paul Jorgensen, he played at Butler in the Big East, and I believe he won Big East Sixth Man of the Year one year. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he won. Nice. And uh, Taisha Harris uh, won a national championship at South Carolina, and she's still there. She she actually has an opportunity to win another one. I think the Gamecocks are uh, number one this year so far. Yeah. And uh, Caitlin Gilbert, I, I gave you grief uh, off air. I'm a big Notre Dame fan, and uh, Notre Dame isn't having a great year this year. Caitlin Gilbert is a freshman. She was a McDonald's All-American and now plays guard at Notre Dame. But, but as we said, they're young. They're going to be good. Uh, Caitlin Gilbert, you can tell she's good. I think, I think she's going to be great. She can play. Uh, I started working with Caitlin when she was a sophomore in high school, and she is – I mean, she can, she can play. She can – I mean, she moves. I mean, she's long. She can shoot. She can play down low. Like, I think of her as, like, being, like, the female Scottie Pippen. Like, she can do nice. literally anything you need her to do. She can play one through five, one through four positions. And one thing I do when I work with players, I, I said it earlier, like, I can, I can give you a fish, 
by teaching you how to play and, and showing you like moves and stuff or, you know, reads, or I can teach you how to fish and really like put the mentality, the work ethic that you need, the, the, the perspective that you need to like, I need to get better every year. That's what I would like to think separates me from maybe other trainers or, or why some of my clients are like successful and they stay successful is because I try to put in them, um, I guess you want to call it, they call it the Mamba mentality. Like I try to like put that in them and show them like, this is how you approach everything you do. And then it almost becomes like a lifestyle or a way of life in that with them. And, um, they take, they take it and run off with it. Yeah. I mean, as I've mentioned, these players, they're uh, doing well, so it's definitely working. Yeah. Well, I always say this, they're the ones who have to shoot the ball and put the ball in the hoop and make the plays. So I, I won't take all the credit for it, but yeah. Just <laughs> take a little though. But uh, but no, I, I think Notre Dame will be back to uh, NCAA tournament form next year. And I think Gilbert will be a, a main reason why. No, absolutely. They got a, they got a nice core unit with her and Naya and Samantha Brunel. And um, yeah, time and, and maturity and age will only help them. So it's, it'll be exciting for years to come. Absolutely. And um, getting back to Guy a little bit more, I have to ask, when Virginia was a one seed uh, and they lost to a 16 seed uh, in UMBC in 2018, what did you tell Kyle after that happened? Funny, I, I picked him up from school in May. Um, I picked him up, drove out to Charlottesville and picked him up and we drove back and we had about nine hours in the car. And he told me, we were talking about the NBA and I told him, I said, you know, maybe one more year. I said, one more year of college, you'll be ready. There's more things we got to work on, more so from the mental side. And, you know, he was, I, when I saw him when they lost and he was crying, I said, there's something. That's not Kyle. That isn't, that's not the Kyle guy I know. And we, when I picked him up, we rode home and he told me, he was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to play basketball anymore. And it was just kind of like, I remember, like, I almost slammed the brakes on, like, what? Are you kidding me? Your first team all ACC is a sophomore? Like, what are you talking about? But he had some stuff that he had to deal with, you know, anxiety and, um, you know, mental health, health issues. And when he told me that, I realized, like, okay, this is, this is, this is, this is going to be bigger than basketball. Like, basketball is the last of our worries right now. And uh, we really spent, like, the last, I don't know, five months after that loss to UMBC of, like, trying to get him just back to, like, ground zero mentally. And, you know, he's, he's as gifted as they come on the court. But you and I both know if you don't have the mind to go with it, then your talent will be wasted. So we spent the next five months, and I actually moved down to Florida, so it was challenging. He came down to Florida. And it, was, it was tough, the distance, but we worked on that. And that's – I knew, I told my wife, I said, it was in November of last year, 2018, I said Virginia won the national championship. Because I, I know Tony Bennett, and I know how like his faith and how he views life and his perspective – they're going to use this negative as a positive. And of course the rest is history. Absolutely. And did you go to the final four in 2019 by any I, chance? You know what? I was, I was going to go. And then I wasn't going to go because my wife's best friend, her father passed away. So my wife had to leave and go out of town for a funeral. So I was at home with the kids. So oh, I couldn't, okay. I'm like, I can't, and that was on, she left on Friday and she was supposed to come home on Tuesday. Well, the final four was Saturday and Monday. So mm -hmm. I was just, I watched the game when he played uh, Auburn and hit the free throws. Yeah, we got to talk about that. So I, I watched that from at home, right? And then uh -huh. I, I changed her flight, 
when they won and came home Monday. And it literally, like, I drive to the airport with the kids in tow. She gets off the plane, comes outside. She gets in the car. I get out, say bye, and I go to the Final Four. I didn't even get a hotel. I slept on Kyle's parents' uh, their hotel floor. Like, I didn't even... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you saw the final. You saw well, the championship. Yeah, I saw the final. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, going back to the Auburn game. So in the semifinal, guy gets fouled shooting a three with point six seconds left. Virginia's down sixty-two to sixty. What were you thinking when guy stepped to the line? I just said if he can make the first one, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're good. And when he made the first one, I was like, oh, he'll, there's no pressure now. He all he has to do is make two out of the next three. He's, you know, sorry, he'll, all he has to do is make one out of the next two. Next two. Yeah. He'll, do, he'll do that. So it was like, make the first one. And when, when I went out there and we talked, he was like, man, I thought the first one was short. He was like, I thought I missed it. And I was just praying, I'm like, please make the first one. Like I said, when he made it, I was like, okay, he's, I know him well enough. He ain't going to miss two of them in a row. He won't do that. Yeah, right. That's awesome. But did you know right away they called the foul? Because, I mean, there's so many videos out there of Auburn fans cheering because you couldn't hear the whistle. You couldn't really see it. Um, I was with a bunch of people watching the game at a bar, and this guy was going crazy because he thought Auburn won, and he was still going crazy as guy was almost about to step to the line. It was pretty funny. I knew, because I watched the game, you know, you watch it as a hooper. I'm like, he fouled him. He came up underneath him, and like, mm-hmm. I was shocked that they called it. I'm like, these refs to call that at this point in a game, like with this much on the line, uh-huh. it was definitely a foul, but I was shocked that the refs called it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they just, you know, hold the whistle the last couple yeah. seconds. Like the travel and, and before that, I think I think Auburn traveled, or maybe Ty Jerome for Virginia did, and they let it go. And it was like. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so the rest is history, wins the championship. And actually, the final went to overtime, right? It did. And that was a good wow. team. That Texas Tech team was good. It was just it was just a magical uh, tournament for Virginia. I mean, you look at Purdue with Diakite hitting the shot. You know, That was course, a crazy game. Crazy. Then Auburn and then, like, Texas Tech. Like, there was a point, like, I thought, I'm like, okay, we're, we're not going to win. And then, you know, Dre Hunter hits the shot and Ty Jerome finds him for another shot in the it was just, it was destiny. It was destiny. Yeah, a magical run. And yeah. I'm sure you were so proud of Kyle. Absolutely. It was just, it's crazy with him because he talks about stuff. We talked about this when he was going to, he actually got a pair of Jordans and he had them custom painted and everything. He's like, I'm going to wear these in the national championship game. This is him as a freshman with a man, but I'm like, <laughs> dude, what are you talking? And then they lost two years. I'm like, dude, I don't know about a national championship. Well, you, but he ended, he didn't wear the shoes, but just that's the way he is. He like, He's anointed. I don't know how else to say it. Like, like, I've never seen anyone, when he says he's going to do something, it's going to get done. Now, sometimes it's like supernatural. You don't know how it happened, but it's <laughs> going to get done. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And uh, so, Derek, as, we, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, you know, not only are you talented at basketball, public speaking, you're also a published author. Can you talk about your book, Results? Yeah, so I, I told you I moved, me and my family moved down to Naples, Florida for a year. Um, it was, we moved there for a business opportunity and um, things didn't work out. I actually went south really quickly and I got to a point in life like I had over 350 kids and I like I left them for a better opportunity is how I felt. And one of the kids that I mentored, I mean, he took a quick left turn and went down the wrong path in life and he's actually sitting in prison now for murder. 
And oh, wow. I said to myself, I'm like, like, I got to do more. Like, like I got to do more. I can't be with every kid all the time. So I have to do more. And it just so happened at that point in my life, like I was going through some tough times um, and I kind of started to lose hope. And I think about this kid, he's sitting in prison. I'm like, I got to do something. So I just started writing. I would just write in my phone. And it was, it was a way, it was almost like therapy. It was a way for me to um, cope and to give myself hope. And then I thought about like, you know what, I need to write it. I need to put this, I need to publish this. And I came up with results, right? So results and then um, the T in it is a cross. And it's a faith-based book. It's a devotional. And I wrote it for athletes with athletes in mind. Like when you read it, it's a hundred entries of things that really happened in my life and how I gained perspective or how I, I pulled hope from it and um, that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, it's a great read. I read it uh, last week in preparation for the podcast. And I'm not a very religious person, and I'm also not an athlete. But even I could relate to the book because it touches so many topics, as you said. You know, people dealing with an everyday life, how they deal with disappointment, trusting the process, being a good teammate not comparing your journey to someone else's because, you know, things happen at different times for different people. So, you know, you could relate that to athletics. You could also relate that to anything, really. So I thought it was a great read. Well, thank you. And that was, you know, I, I put I put athletes devotional, but I wrote it with everybody in mind because we all had the same issues. Like, we all, like, everyone has the same issues. I just have learned so many life lessons through the game of basketball and through sports that it's like, okay, like, I'm going to write something that's, because I, I did my research, there's nothing out there that was specifically for athletes. So that's why I wrote it, said athletes, devotional, but it's for, I mean, it's for anybody. You can have any job or be any age, and you'll find something that will that you will be able to relate to. Absolutely. There were a bunch of chapters that I've really related to with what's going on uh, in my life right now. So, oh, oh. as I said, it was great. I got it on Amazon. Where else is it available? So you can go to Amazon. It's uh, available on barnesandnobles.com. Um, you can go to my website, um, Derek Grant, D-E-R-I-C-K, grantspeaks.com, um, and it's on there. You can buy it, buy it off of uh, the website. Nice. Yeah, I encourage everyone listening to do it. It's a great read, as I've said a million times. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Derek, we've obviously talked a lot about basketball. Uh, this is the first recording I've done since the death of Kobe Bryant. I know he's had an impact on your life. Um, you know, I just want to give you the floor right now to, to talk about it. It was, it's one of those things where you're like, you'll never forget where you were when someone, or when you found out. I actually had a kid. I said that too. Yeah, it was, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was how it happened. I don't know if it was the fact that like his daughter, there was other people, but it was just. Yeah, awful. You didn't realize, and his, Rob Polinka said it best. He was like, um he's arguably the most influential athlete of this generation. And I didn't realize, and I started to look back. And if you actually look at uh, devotional entry number 34 in my book, I wrote about Kobe and how much he influenced me. And I, this, this was published a year ago. Right. And I didn't realize until he passed, like how much of him I saw in me and like my work ethic and the way I approached life. And, you know, the way I patterned my game, I like, I would study, you can ask, Kyle, ask anybody, your brother, like I would study Kobe Bryant and it was sad because I was looking forward to this next chapter in his life for me personally, selfishly, like 
okay, like I want to study how he does business. I want to study like how he attacks life now outside of basketball. And it was just heartbreaking. Um, I can't tell you how many people I just had somebody tell me today, like, like I saw you in him. Like it's, and I didn't realize how much I really like patterned everything after him. And um, it's just a sad situation, but the reality of it is, is death is coming for everybody here on earth. It's like the one thing we can't run from. And yeah, exactly. while, while it was sad, like my, I was in a funk for like two or three days, but my faith was like, okay, like this, believe it or not, this was God's will. We won't ever understand, but there will be some good that comes from it. And I can already say in my life, like it's forced me to be intentional with, you know, relationships and, you know, making sure I tell my wife and my kids, I love them. And, you know, really being patient and slowing down because life can be gone like that. And before you know it, like you're, you're sitting at a casket wishing you would have done things differently. So it's just, it's a sad situation. One thing I, I, I'm so thankful for is like, I was able to enjoy him and study him and pull like knowledge from him while he was here that I can pass down to my kids. So, um, my heart goes out to his family and those, those, the victims, the other seven that were involved in their families. It's just, it's just a sad situation. Yeah, absolutely. Very sad. And, but, but like you said, there will, there will be good things that come from it. One, I believe is that the Mamba mentality will live on. I know that, you know, you're teaching it as well as other people and he'll definitely be remembered. Absolutely. And that's, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was like, you think when Kobe came in the league, everybody kept saying, oh, he's copying Michael Jordan. He's just like Michael Jordan, which there was parts of his game that were, you know, his fadeaway and, you know, his mid-range game reminded you of MJ. Mm-hmm. But there's no one in the league since Kobe has come in the league that makes you say, oh, he reminds me of Kobe. There's nobody. Like, nobody's patterned their game after Kobe at all. That's and, a good point, actually. And I, like, Kobe was only four years that. older than me, but I patterned stuff after him. But by the time... He came along. I was like 19. I was too old. My game, like, so now me and my son went, we went and worked, we went and worked out the other morning, like seven in the morning. I, like he's seven years old and I'm, I'm able to, these things that I learned, but I didn't learn until I was 19. I'm able to put in him at seven and take my time now. And yeah, that's great. I told my wife, I said, all he has to do is get to six, six and we're, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll trust me. I don't know if he'll be like Kobe, but he'll be, he'll be darn close. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, as we're transitioning to a happier topic, you know, you're talking about your son, you have a beautiful family, a wife, Carly, two children, your son's into basketball. Is your daughter into basketball? Is she, she old enough yet? She, you know, it's, it's weird. She's five, but, and she doesn't play on a team or anything. She'll shoot in, in the house and on a hoop and everything. And she's a really good shooter, but she just, I mean, she's a girly girl. I just want to do dance and do gymnastics. I don't, she actually told me one day, she's like, I don't like to sweat. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> basketball won't be for you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But she'll, she, she likes basketball, but I don't, as with my son, I don't force anything on them because my parents didn't force it on me. And I think that's why I love it so much because it was developed organically. So I won't do this. I'll, I'll let my kids develop their own love, but I think, because my wife played college basketball, uh, played Division II college basketball. So, Oh, wow. Our, our, Where'd she play? She played at a University of Southern Indiana down in Evansville. Okay. Uh, her, Evansville? Evansville, yeah. yeah. Okay. Playing to fame. I think she said she scored 13 against Notre Dame. They played Notre Dame in an ex- exhibition. So 
We have oh, a good for her. Family, so for our, for our daughter not to play, she'll be she'll be the black sheep. So I think she'll be <laughs> over. <laughs> hey, she's only five. Maybe she'll change her mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> and actually, it's funny. My brother Kyle. There's so many Kyles we've been talking about, but my brother Kyle, he has the same alignment of children: a uh, one son that's the oldest, mm-hmm. and then a daughter who's younger. And and his kids are younger than yours. They're four and two. Madeline is a girly girl too. I'm not sure if she'll get into basketball, but uh, well, maybe we should have a four on four game: the Grants versus the Burks. That would be that would be fun. That would be as long as Kyle's not sweating all over me. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Carly might smoke my sister in law, Kristen. Though <laughs> <laughs> I say Carly, Carly is the best shooter in the house. I, when we first started dating each other, um, we we actually went to a park, and and she came out to visit in New Jersey. We went to a park and. I was like, man, this girl can really shoot. Like, I'm really going to have to try to beat her in horse. I can't, like, just let her win. So she's a good <laughs> shooter, for sure. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Burks have a shot. I'm going the Grants with that 4v4. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. Okay. Sounds good. All right. What is your favorite movie? <sighs> favorite movie? My goodness. Oh man, that's a tough one because I don't I don't watch too many movies. Probably the movie I've watched the most. Um probably Moana. I like Moana. I can never get, <laughs> get so tired funny. of watching Moana. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. My, my niece has a Moana doll. She loves it. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Moana. I know all the songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know them a little too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who is your favorite professional sports team to root for? Oh man, um, see, I'm I'm the type like I can watch anybody, but honestly, if I had to say, probably the Lakers. Probably the Lakers, okay. even like obviously when Kobe played for them, like I rooted for them, and then it was like a smooth transition into, well, there's a couple rough spots, but LeBron is there now. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're a fun team to watch now. I, I probably, AD. probably the Lakers. Yeah. I'll, I'll go okay. out of my way to watch the Lakers where most teams I won't, but I'll watch anybody. Okay. All right. Nice. All right. Last question. I know you went to Kyle guy's wedding in Hawaii. Yeah. Besides the ceremony, what was the best part of Hawaii? Well, see, I've been to Hawaii I think it was my eighth time going. Eight times? Wow. Eight time, but I had never been to Kauai. I'd always been like Maui or like uh, Honolulu. We went to Kauai, and that's where they filmed Jurassic Park. So it's just oh, nice. like, it's just like rainforest and like uninhabited land. And it was just, I mean, it was, I tell people it does, it does something for your soul. Like probably just, just taking in nature, like, me and my wife would go for bike rides and we'd literally just stop and just like on the side of the road and just look up a mountain and just be like in awe that like how beautiful this was. Like, I don't, I don't know. We went horseback riding. That was fun. Um, I think I've, I've slowed down in life enough to enjoy things that maybe people may think are boring. So like mm-hmm. I enjoy just, you know, sitting on the fairway of a golf course and just sitting there and just like taking it in, like, I don't have to be doing anything specifically. 
Um, mm-hmm. Just overall, just a vacation, just to get away with my wife was it, it was fun. Nice, and you know what? Life's short. You got to enjoy the beauty around you. Small things that matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm dying to get to Hawaii. Yes, you got to go. You got to. It's I, okay. Of my 70 countries, when people ask me what's your favorite, I don't say Hawaii because it's considered a state, but hands down, mm-hmm. Hawaii. Like Hawaii beats Singapore and it beats Dubai because it's wow. all of these places, but they speak English like, and they take American money. So it's like perfect. Yeah, it's <laughs> a ringing endorsement. All right. <laughs> yeah, I need to be on like the tourist board of Hawaii or something. Let me go out you there. Should. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me and all the best to you. And uh, I look forward to seeing how this podcast takes off. So yeah, yeah, Kiva, we'll see. But um, where can the listeners find you if they want to reach out? Um, so you can go, like I said, I get my website, DerekGrantSpeaks.com. And then I also have another website, DerekGrantBasketball.com. Um, social media is Derek Grant Results. That's Derek, D-E-R-I-C-K. Uh, that's my Instagram handle. And um, yeah, I don't I don't go on Instagram as much as I like, but I always try to be intentional with the stuff I do put. So um, yeah, don't, don't hesitate to follow. All right, everyone. That was my interview with Derek Grant. I hope you enjoyed it. It was so cool to talk to him, you know, from knowing him from when he was 18 to 21, 22 years old, to be able to follow his very successful career And see the impact he's had, you know, basketball aside, he's mentoring a lot of young kids and really having a positive impact on them. And I'm very proud to say that I know Derek Grant. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.